You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today is Jeff Ranke. Anna Wells is out this week celebrating the wedded bliss of a lifelong friend. So we've got Andy Zell with us again. Thanks for joining us, man. Of course. Always great to be here. Very good. Every week, we take the five biggest stories in manufacturing and discuss the implications they might have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving us a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, it's Jeff, Andy, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. We're also going live on YouTube soup, so please make sure to leave the comments in the comment section below or to the right, really, whatever device you're on it's in a different place but uh jeff how are you doing this week good and i am really excited to be doing this podcast because this week has felt like a month Mm. so this means we're doing this it's almost miller time so (laughs) i am very excited to uh to be doing the podcast here this is good stuff (laughs) i'm happy to be here with you because then i'm leaving (laughs) i love doing this but i know i'm almost there i can see the light (laughs) very good uh andy how you doing this week um, I'm in a similar boat as apparently everyone else around here. So, uh, I'm doing great. Well, let's hit let's it hit so it. we can get out of here. All right. Our first story this week, engineer gets prison in corporate spying case. A 47 year old man was sentenced to three years in prison in Sweden for spying for Russia. Civil engineer, going to give it a shot. Christian Dimitrovsky provided confidential information on Swedish truck and bus maker Scania to a Russian diplomat in return for money over several years. He also handed over sensitive information on Chinese-owned Swedish car manufacturer Volvo Cars. The engineer worked as a consultant for both companies from 2016 to 2019. And Jeff, this is just another reminder of how you cannot trust consultants, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, you can go there. That's definitely one (laughs) conspiracy theory we can go with. And I think this is the perfect story to maybe throw some some uh, possibilities out there for some things that may be going on behind the scenes, so mm-hmm. to speak, right? Because it's not necessarily it's just not necessarily military or other more confidential inf- information. It's more like corporate espionage, if you will. So I'm going to float out this conspiracy theory as far as what maybe could be possibly going on here. Okay. This is a little bit different. So a couple of companies. First one, Kamaz or Kamaz, K-A-M-A-Z. It is the largest Russian truck builder. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's also like the 16th largest truck builder in the world. Okay. okay. Good sized company. It's owned by another company called Rostec. Mm-hmm. Rostec, which is basically short for Russian technology, oh. is the state owned technology company conglomerate, whatever you want to say, of Russia. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so basically, um, Kamaz for many, many years was its own entity. Um, Putin passed some legislation at the end of 2008, 2009, where basically they looked at a bunch of Russian companies that were in financial trouble. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can take that however you want to take it. But according to, to everything that I looked at, they only looked at companies that were in trouble financially. Mm-hmm. And basically they took a controlling share of these companies. So right now, Rostec, again, <clears throat> a Russian owned conglomerate, mm-hmm. owns 49.9% of Romtech. Or excuse me, of um, Kamaz. Kamaz. Yeah. So they're a Russian truck company, mm-hmm. needs to gain some market share. Mm. Um, if you can think of one area, so you also this company, am I saying this right? Scania? Scania? Scania. 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 Yeah. Um, it's a, a subsidiary of Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. 
Volkswagen has made headlines for two things lately, right? Obviously, Dieselgate and all the followed from that. What's the other thing that's been getting a lot of headlines for? Electric vehicle development. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The end of last year, a big announcement from Kamaz was the development of electric oh, electric trucks. Man, you're going deep. So, this one. like I said, I know it's kind of a <laughs> lot of loose ends out there, a lot of different things going on. But if you're looking at this engineer mm-hmm. being um, connected with the Russian government, spying corporate espionage. This is how I would maybe try to connect the dots yeah. and looking at what could have possibly been going on and why they really – they didn't drop the hammer that hard, but they definitely went after this guy. So. Yeah, I did notice that <clears> – what I found interesting was that the engineer made the initial contact. You know, it was the engineer that went to the Russian embassy, and I don't even know what you say. Like, do you – Andy, can you just walk up to the embassy and be like, hey, uh, I'm an engineer at two major car manufacturers – can I get a meeting? Well, the timeline of this is he starts working as a consultant for these two companies in 2016, and then also in 2016 starts giving stuff to this Russian diplomat. So I'm maybe not connecting as many dots as Jeff, but I would suggest <laughs> maybe he was previously introduced to this diplomat before he started working as a consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, that this uh, corporate espionage, this is the kind of thing we've seen here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems most of these stories, or at least the ones we read about, are primarily connected to China. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Jeff has suggested, it's a good way to catch up on R&D quickly. So mm-hmm. this is someone uh, collecting confidential company information, putting it on their device or a, a jump drive or what have you, and giving it to whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, what I thought was interesting was learning that Sweden's maximum penalty for espionage is six years. Mm-hmm. He got three. Yeah. Um, and given that it's espionage and that you're probably not going to see a decrease in these sorts of things, I would maybe look into some criminal justice reform maybe yeah. on that end. Yeah, lo- lowering the hammer a bit more on yeah. it. Yeah. And then also that our our friend here, this the uh, alleged spy, got three years for apparently a price of uh, the equivalent of $3,100. So... Man. Don't want to speculate on anyone's Definitely financial a, straits, but my personal price would be a little bit higher than that. Not a yeah. sales finance expert here. Definitely maybe Apparently a good not. engineer, but needs some work on his numbers. Yeah. Well, he's clearly doing it for the motherland. <laughs> um, I also found it interesting that he was arrested while they were just hanging out at a restaurant. And uh, I just wanted to, like, uh, you know, you're just hanging out having lunch. And all of a sudden, this goes down. And you're just like, I did not see those two guys being like, you know who the sting was going down on. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, we do see a lot of cases like this in uh, the U.S., particularly with China. And, Jeff, I give you a lot of credit. I did not make that connection. Uh, well, you just kind of wonder, how does all this stuff start? Right. Understanding maybe the guy was looking for a couple bucks. Maybe he did have patriotic tendencies or, or whatever you want to say and trying to get this this technical information back to Russia. But, again, it wasn't military vehicles. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about trucks and buses. I know it's competitive, and that type of thing. But it, that's what kind of got me is usually you're looking at more higher degrees of technology. You're looking at consumer electronics and things of that nature. This is uh, that, That's what I thought was very unique about this. It made me kind of think a little bit more um, uh, about some stuff that might be going on that we weren't thinking about. Yeah, so. well, and to your point, Andy, maybe that's one of the reasons Sweden was a potential target is because of their rather lax discipline when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, that would make it um, a little bit more of an appealing target than, say, I don't know, the U.S.? The U.S.? Some nation that canes you? Yeah. All right. Our next most popular story. Tesla builds first store on tribal land to dodge state car laws. Tesla recently opened a store and repair shop in Nambe Pueblo, New Mexico. The electric car company took a defunct casino 
and turned it into a sales, service, and delivery center near Santa Fe. Being on Native American, <clears throat> being on a Native American property is a new approach for Tesla, which wants to sell cars directly to consumers and cut out car dealerships. Right now, Tesla can only sell and service its vehicles in 12 states. New Mexico banned Tesla from offering sales or repairs without going through a dealership. Tribal land is not subject to state laws. This is the first time the company has partnered with a tribe to get around state laws, though the idea has been in the works for years. And Jeff, I don't feel like this is the last one. No, I think this was really smart on Tesla's part here. Mm -hmm. I think I'm all for a lot of precautions or layers that do help the consumer, which is what people are really championing in terms of defending the automakers for saying there needs to be a dealership so that the automotive, the OEMs can't go direct, creates more jobs, stimulates more competition, all that kind of stuff. I can appreciate that. But in this instance, Mm -hmm. if Tesla wants to do it this way, I don't think they should be banned from doing so. So the fact that they've found a workaround here is really I think pretty cool, pretty mm-hmm. impressive, and and kudos to the Native Americans, who, Native American tribes who work with them to make this make this possible. Mm-hmm. I think this is also these types of agreements are going to be vital for Tesla if they really want to grow. Right now, they're still in the automotive spectrum, kind of a boutique company. Right, they had they had sales last year of about half a million vehicles, which is impressive because it was up like thirty percent or something like that from the year prior. But when you look at GM, GM sold almost, I believe it was like 6 million vehicles last year, mm-hmm. um, almost 7 million vehicles. Um, Toyota sold over 10 million. Ford sold almost 6 million. So in that scheme of things, they're not there yet. Yeah. They're not, so they do need better distribution, more visibility like this. The other thing that this opens up to them is capturing some of those service dollars. Mm-hmm. Looked at some stats here. According to the National Association of Automotive Dealers, um, the average dealership captured about $6.7 million in service and parts sales oh, wow. last year. Okay. So that's a hefty sum, mm-hmm. okay, for one location, about $6.7 million. And that's only about 30% of the total aftermarket repair service market. Okay. So there's a lot, and it's growing. Dealership, mm-hmm. there's more service work being done at dealerships. So for Tesla to not only be able to have greater visibility, greater reach with the vehicles they're making, but also capture those service dollars on their vehicles as well as potentially others. Mm-hmm. Um, these types of locations and these types of partnerships are going to be vital, I would think, to their growth yeah. if they want it. Elon Musk is a different cat. I mean, he may be just fine being the size that they are and servicing the, the group that they are, but if they want to grow, these types of things are going to be important. I, I also like that uh, being on tribal land, you know, just in my like simple experience with a couple of tribes in Wisconsin, like, you know, Andy, it's good to see high quality jobs going to that community. It is. They, they, you can certainly look at the statistics there. There tend to be um, more, certainly more poverty than the the population at large for, for multiple reasons going back hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I did want to talk a little bit about what, what Jeff was talking about with service. Um, mm-hmm. That seemed to be a lot of their angle here because, um, we live in a state where Tesla still can't uh, sell direct to consumers, but you still see them out on the road driving to yeah. work all the time. So yeah. they're getting here, but if you need to get them worked on, you got to go in many states like New Mexico, you got to go somewhere else. So New Mexico is an enormous state mm-hmm. and people have to go to El Paso yeah. to get their car worked on. So that um, seemed to be a lot of the uh, a lot of the impetus here for this decision as well as being more visible in a state where they otherwise wouldn't be able to. Mm-hmm. Um the the other thing is, um, they this is a 
battle they've been fighting for a long time. These old dealership laws, which vary from state to state, but um, as you mentioned, it's a way to, you know, allow these dealerships to not compete directly against manufacturers from decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it certainly seems now that even though this battle is continuing, momentum definitely seems to be on Tesla's side and some of these other EV startups that are um, trying to sell these electric vehicles as there's a global push toward electric vehicles, trying to get these out in the market. And consumers are saying, why shouldn't we be able to, be able to yeah. buy direct? Yeah, it's. I mean, how do you guys feel about cutting out dealerships? I mean, I feel like the paradigm is shifting and the industry needs to move with it. We've talked about... Um, what was the car company that we recently talked about that uh, they were going to simplify things and try selling direct online? Was that Ford or GM? Ford. 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 Yeah. And uh, I just think that, I mean, are dealerships still going to be a thing 10 years from now? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, any type of, whether it's e-commerce, and that's not exactly what we're dealing with here. Yeah. But whenever you try to eliminate some of the brick and mortar, there is that natural sort of loss in the marketplace, you know, survival mm-hmm. of the fittest type of dynamic. So maybe you'll see fewer of them, but potentially they could be bigger, the ones that are there. Yeah. Um, maybe at some point, it, it really depends on how much Musk and Tesla want to fight this. Mm-hmm. Because what they could also be attempting to do or thinking about doing is saying, hey, do you want to sell Teslas if you are a Chevy dealership mm-hmm. or a Ford dealership? That doesn't really sound like Musk's sort of thing <laughs> that he would go for. Yeah. But if you do want it, depends on what his growth strategy is and how much you want to grow. I'm sure all of his shareholders are saying, we need to figure out a way to get a bigger presence in the market and get more cars out on the road. Obviously, dealerships have proven an ex- to be an extremely successful way of doing that. Mm-hmm. People can see it, touch it, feel it before they take it off the lot. So I don't think dealerships are going away. Could there be fewer of them? I think that depends on a lot of the other supply chain issues right now that are so prominent in the automotive market. Andy, I wanted to get your perspective as well, because you recently bought a car, cut out the dealer entirely, uh, just sort of uh, the way I understand it, ordered it off a menu online, right? Basically, yeah. Um, it uh, I didn't plan it that way. I, I'd gone to a dealership before. It, w- it was fine. Um, I, uh, it just happened that the uh, the financing I went through had a, had a program through this website. And mm-hmm. it was, like you said, it was like picking it off a menu. You could filter for price, miles, year, and uh, you're not just kind of beholden to what a dealer might have on a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was very easy. Uh, there was a hiccup where when, you, when I took the first car I picked for a test drive, it uh, didn't have cruise control. In oh. the year of our Lord, 2019. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I had to... Uh, go back for an exchange on that one. So it took a little longer, a little bit of a headache, but... Um, Were you able to test drive a similar vehicle or like the exact model before you ordered that one? I Not before I ordered it. I You okay. you order it, they, they dropped it off at my house, uh, took it for a test drive, decided I would like cruise control because it was yeah. 2019. And yeah. then <laughs> uh, they, uh, they I ended up picking just the same car because it was a nice car um, and uh, just picked one with cruise control. So they, they brought it back and said, here you go. Because that would be my thing. I, I just want to, even if it's just the plain base model, I want to be able to sit in it, yeah. make sure I'm comfortable. I like where everything is oriented before I feel comfortable buying online like that. Um, but once you do that, to me, yeah, all the other creature comforts or features, you can add those on and I can get that later. I at least want to have the test drive though. Yeah, You don't want to accidentally order yourself one of those like Opal SUMs <laughs> and you're just like... So we got a problem. I got to return this. Why? I don't I can't physically fit, fit yeah. in it. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you say that because when I was, I drove Impalas for, I don't know, I think about three straight or something like that. But each year, like it was slightly different. 
Yeah. Okay. And I just I would want to make sure I got some leg room and, and stuff like right. that. So it's like you guys cut back just too much. Yeah. Yeah. A little too aerodynamic. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our next most popular story. GM wants LG to clean up battery plants. General Motors wants to get to the root of battery fire problems in Chevy Bolts. The fires have forced recalls, plant shutdowns, and cost the company $1.8 billion. Now, GM is helping LG, quote, clean up the manufacturing process at its battery plants. GM linked the battery-related fires in the Bolt to plants in South Korea and Michigan. The, fu- the plants are operated by LG Energy Solution, which is working on a final recall plan that will fix the battery problems. The Michigan factory and its 1,000 workers just had a shutdown extended to at least September 24th. Andy, I got to feel like, you know, if anyone, those employees would like a little bit of clarity on the uh, recall, but, you know, also the thousands of people that have a bolt on the road. Or, this yeah. this is not a good look, the... Uh having to tell thousands of your nice new electric vehicle, thousands of those owners to park them outside or it might burn down your house. That's not a a great look when you're trying to compete in a new market. Um, So obviously um, it's, it's good to be able to pin this on the supplier if you're GM, but also uh, in in the story, they mentioned that Hyundai's electric vehicle had to be recalled um, for similar issues. Um, So yes, it would be nice for them to, get to figure this out for for a lot of people's re, uh, purposes jeff can you imagine getting that recall in the mail it says we got to park outside oh jesus <laughs> like well i mean and we've talked about these batteries now okay we've talked about them in teslas yeah. some issues we've talked about them in consumer electronics yeah. which some of these same companies that supply ev batteries also work with like laptop computers and stuff maybe we should take a step back here we got um yeah but running hot <laughs> so yeah this technology it's just it's such a problem with the heat apparently, and it's it's not uniform though. That's what's kind of I guess a little bit more scary mm-hmm. is it's not saying okay it wasn't insulated correctly. We need a different enclosure. It was this type of connection. It was this type of usage pattern. Whatever the case was, it's just so random. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it took out a key part of GM's offering right now. I mean, this is kind of the cornerstone of their EV platform when you look at this particular vehicle. And they recall how many of them? Like two million? Yeah, it's uh, the number's ridiculous. But And it did say, like, in the earlier bolts, like, the entire battery pack has to be replaced. I don't know what it is, but with the newer bolts, it's just defective modules within the pack that needs to be replaced. But, I mean, it said that some of these parts aren't going to be available until November. Hopefully, right? Right. I mean, we've seen all these issues with automotive supply chain. And the thing that's unique here is, really, you're dealing with a handful of suppliers that are even capable of providing. Mm -hmm. So, in the past, if you're somebody like GM, you can say, okay, these guys suck. Let's get a different supplier. Yeah. Well, who are you going to go to? Because the other big guys already have exclusive agreements. Panasonic's working with Toyota and I think a little bit with Tesla. Yes. Tesla's working with another Chinese company as well as trying to develop their own. Um, GM's working with LG Chem. Somebody else is working with LG as well. Um, it escapes my mind. It's, uh, shoot. I can't remember off the top of my head. But there's other people working with them because they are one of the five games in town. Yeah. And then we've also seen issues with uh, like SK is another one that's a big battery supplier and they were having oh, issues um with with Hyundai, I yeah. believe. Yeah, well Hyundai SK and, was the one having the issues I believe in Kentucky about the uh uh the patent infringement. Right. That's yeah. what it was. Okay. Yeah, we had two new battery factories on the way and they <laughs> couldn't stop fighting. So we couldn't start making it. Either. And they're all having these issues, controlling yeah. this heat and starting these fires. Um Thankfully, it's not as widespread as some other recall issues. I mean, this isn't like a Takata airbag thing here, mm-hmm. but still, 
very damaging. And you wonder at some point, or at least I do, when are some of these bigger OEs going to go the route that Tesla has in trying to develop and manufacture their own batteries? Mm-hmm. Obviously very expensive, very costly, material and supply chain challenges right now, to <clears> say the least. But is that the longer term solution potentially? I, I think it is. And I mean, my biggest takeaway from this was that LG better get it together soon. Because GM wants to switch to those Ultium cells that they've been developing, and they're a different design, size, and chemistry than the LG cells in the Bolt. So GM is going to look to develop partnerships with um, new plants to develop these batteries. And if they're having trouble with LG, Andy, I just don't think they come back and they're like, well, you'll be fine with these, right? You would think the supply chain issues alone would make them take a second, third, fourth look at, hey, maybe we should do this in-house, mm-hmm. um, notwithstanding the massive, massive recall of your signature electric vehicle because of fires. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, uh, Jeff, I do think you bring up a good point because uh, they're going to have to do something. Yeah. What do you think is the, if you're like the quality control guy, you're mm-hmm. the engineer, right? Is there any word worse to associate with something going wrong than fire i mean maybe explosion i don't know yeah i mean i <laughs> mean the fires in that one too you come in on monday and there's something i mean fire just has to be like oh man yeah we're done just it's gonna be a long week yeah <laughs> right it's not our fault <laughs> no <laughs> that's the first thing you do as the engineer call the guys at lg it's got to be them yeah no all right yeah the recall fixes they put a fire extinguisher under the hood or something oh man park it closer to water no. <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible. All right, our next most popular story this week. A $400,000 helmet can see through walls. The helmets used by the F-35 Lightning II fighter jet pilots have had some problems. A few years ago, it was an LED glitch that made it difficult to land planes at night on aircraft carriers. The $400,000 helmets are impressive. They provide night vision, thermal imagery, and even a live video feed from below the jet. Despite all these technological advancements, the helmet still hasn't figured out how to adjust to biological changes in the pilot. The helmet needs to fit precisely in order to work, but that means that the pilots can't put on that much weight or even change their haircut, as either could impact the helmet's fit, function, and ability to position data accurately and correctly. Jeff, I know this was your story, and it has to do with an incredibly expensive military tool that isn't working right. So uh, what were your thoughts on this story? Well, a couple of things. First of all, it's cool because we talk a lot about like augmented reality and different sensory cameras and stuff like that. And it has all this cool stuff. And it's actually having a real world impact. So it's cool to see all of that type of technology sort of coming to fruition a little bit. We have a lot of theoretical engineering that we cover. And we're like, this will be cool when this comes to be. Well, it's, it's actually in place here. Yeah. And it's very expensive. What this made me think about is when I was in and trying to pass my physical fitness test, like after my kids were born, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you're there right now when they're, when they're young, they're, yeah. they're under five. And like the, the thought of working out at the end of the day, that is just difficult. Yeah. So yeah. these pilots who are, you know, in a different realm than me in the Army Reserve, obviously, yeah. in terms of their commitment to their jobs. But man, being careful you don't put on a couple extra pounds or yeah. locked into the same haircut for the next 20 years. Um it just it reinforces the dedication too that these guys do have to have to their craft. Just in that that seems like such a minuscule thing, yeah. but has such a huge impact because this this technology is so precise yeah. and so dependent upon not just the technology itself but the user applying it in the right way. 
Well, it's it's like two centimeters, right? It can't millimeters. be two millimeters. It can't be two millimeters off. Sorry, yeah. centimeters is a big change in the face. <laughs> um, but Andy, uh, what were your thoughts on the story? I mean, you know, aside from facial sizing, right? Um, me being wildly ignorant about the day to day lives of the military and the Air Force, um, you know, you just kind of think that well, they have the standard issue haircut, mm-hmm. and you have to keep in shape. So I was like, well, that shouldn't be a big deal. Just keep the standard issue haircut, do your jumping jacks, whatever, and mm-hmm. you'll be okay. Uh, but no, the pilots in, in the story says this is a matter of a couple pounds. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's, that's Thanksgiving. So yeah. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, and uh, apparently they go in three times a year. I think I read to get, to get, yeah. make yeah. sure these things are still working right. Like every hundred days or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is a pain, but the good thing is you see this laundry list of things that these helmets and this, uh, imaging and camera technology can do and you almost you think of like a screen with a million pop-up ads on it but it's oh, yeah. very it's very clean from the video footage that the company showed very intuitive from yeah. what i can tell yeah. i'm not a i'm not a pilot it is the ultimate user interface i mean yeah, yeah it's all right there and what they've been able to do is when they're looking and maybe you're going to get into this a little bit but like the cameras and the way that they're positioned mm. Underneath the wing, basically, when they when the pilot turns, he has all the information that still stays on his helmet, but he can actually see underneath the plane yeah. because he's tapping into those cameras. I mean, that's incredible, and it's all in real time. It has to be, obviously. Yeah. Um, so it's just, just incredible, but that's where the precision makes sense. Like, you know, can't be off at all because no. he had a little too much turkey, yeah. Yeah. No, I was, uh, I was thinking more in lines of, like, sort of what sort of – analog fix is it going to take to make these highly expensive technological, you know, uh, helmets work. And I figured it was going to be, you know, it's going to be something like the, uh, the old Reeboks where you just like, you know, was it, uh, or the Nike air, the pump where you pumped it up. Pump. Yeah. You know, you just got a little pump in the corner just like, ah, we're a little loose. <laughs> you know, I just, uh, I, I just thought it'd be, I'm interested to see how they fix this. Other than, I guess, they don't really fix it. They make the pilots stay in line. I think it's more the the cost of the technology coming down so that if they do have to replace it. And one of the things that we didn't get into a ton with the article is they do have, I guess for lack of a better term, almost like a – it's like a mold that goes over their head that then goes into the helmet. Oh, okay. And that mold is something they can they can adjust and change. It's still expensive. They don't want to. But that's actually something pilots will hold on to if – their whole career oh, is sort okay. of that inner mold for the helmet because that does help adjust for some of that. Okay. But the other thing, ideally, you would like to see the cost <laughs> yeah. of these things actually come down a little bit so they're not wearing a half million dollars on their head. Yeah. Um, so that, that's uh, it'll be interesting both of those things sort of at, at working. Yeah. Um, then I mean, you just have your spring and summer mold and you have your holiday mold. Well, there you go. <laughs> just throw over. Like, like, hey. Winter weight mold? Yeah. It was, it's been a hard winter. We're going to need to get the one <laughs> in the back of the locker. All right. <clears throat> yeah, no facial hair either. Ah, sorry, I'm out. You're out. Yeah. That's, that's the only reason you didn't join the military, right? Yeah, I don't miss my face. No. <laughs> Do you know the reason why they say no, they don't want facial hair? No. In the military? What I was always told was because of the pro mask, the gas mask, because it comes oh. down in the straps and the seal around oh, okay. your face. Um, now they're kind of dispelling that a little bit, but oh. I think that was their the reason they used for it when sure. I was I mean, there. if that was a reason in anything we're doing, that I need a gas mask to fit better on my face, I will definitely shave. That's what it'll take. Well, I mean, if it's like it's gas, beard, if it's beard gas. or like mustard gas, yeah, I can I can give it a trim. I'll throw in like some weird goatee, <laughs> make my nice. kids cry for a week. All right. <clears throat> so 
For our most popular story, we <clears throat> we had two different safety-related stories, and we wind up covering these quite a bit. So I figured that I'd put them together, and then we could talk about the issue as a whole. Uh, the first one was a meat plant worker. Two meat plant workers were found dead in a hazmat incident, and another maintenance worker died at a pork plant. On September 12th, two maintenance workers were found dead at a Valley Proteins meat processing plant in North Carolina. The Valley Proteins factory recycles oils, animal fats, and animal waste for use in pet food. The accident is still under investigation, but in a statement, Valley Proteins said the accident, quote, may have occurred by lack of following company safety procedures, with <clears throat> which both employees have been trained on. In the other incident, on September 10th, a 57-year-old maintenance worker died at a Prestige Foods pork processing plant in Iowa. The employee, who was named Jeffrey Leonardi, was killed while, quote, performing routine maintenance duties. Leonardi, <clears throat> Leonardi had worked as a mechanic at the plant since it opened in March 2019. The accident happened in the early morning during the third shift. Now, Jeff, we always like to look at these safety stories and kind of see what happened so that way we can prevent it going forward. But what I was interested in is that Valley Proteins seemed to go out of its way to blame the workers in the statement. Yeah, and it's when these things happen, it can't be seen as an individual action. It's a collective response. It is what it really needs to be. And in this case, even if everything was in place, mm -hmm. okay, let's just, and we don't know because the investigation is ongoing. Yeah. So let's just say everything was there for these workers to take advantage of, to be safe. It still happens. These things will just happen, and that's the sad part of this. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be about looking back at what didn't take place. It needs to be about looking forward at what we can do to make sure it doesn't happen again. Right. And I know that's easy for me to say standing mm -hmm. here, but that that's the tone of these conversations. That's why, I mean, in a lot of manufacturers get very frustrated with how prevalent OSHA is and how much they're involved mm -hmm. and the presence that they have. But that's why, because yeah. you do have manufacturers coming out, looking back and saying, well, these guys, you know, we had this. doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. doesn't matter to their families. doesn't matter to their friends, their colleagues, or anybody else. What we need to do is look forward. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting, you know, all three of these individuals were classified as maintenance workers. Mm -hmm. This week, I, I came across um, a page on the Business Insider website where they looked at the most dangerous jobs in America in 2018. What they did is they looked at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and how that um, that federal agency basically documented how many people died on the job in 2019 for the equivalent of every 100,000 people who hold that job. Mm -hmm. Now, on average, the national average for all workers is 3.5 per 100,000 full-time workers. Okay? okay, That's the national average. Yeah. Now, when we look at the types of positions that these individuals held as maintenance workers, they kind of fell into two different categories. Okay, mm -hmm. One would be, and it came in actually, and I thought it would have been higher up on the list, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it was number 16 out of, um, I believe they did 35. Okay. And it was general maintenance and repair workers. So mm -hmm. these are folks that are fixing basically <clears throat> anything, anything that's not super specialized. Yeah. But their injury, their fatality per 100,000, do you have any idea what it might be? I mean, not that we're trying to get too morbid here with no, guessing this I'm stuff. No, I'm just going to say it's higher. Like, yeah, 13.4. Okay. So the national average is 3.5, yeah. 13.4. Specifically, when they looked at the industrial sector and manufacturing, came in at, bear with me. 33, mm -hmm. okay? What they termed as indu industrial machinery installation repair and maintenance workers were 33rd on the list. So it's good that it was less yeah. than a lot of other 
potentially dangerous um, uh, positions or, or, or jobs, but still you're looking at a fatality injury rate of 6.4 per 100,000 full-time workers. That's twice the national average. Mm-hmm. So just looking at those types of stats, and again, this isn't from Business Insider. They compiled it. Yes. This is right from the federal government yeah. saying this is what it was. We can't always be looking back to place blame. We also need to take those lessons learned and use that to be better. Well, and we've, <clears throat> we've all been part of training in the past that we thought was maybe useless or boring or a waste of time. And sometimes you need to kind of put it in a bigger perspective as to how valuable that training could be in order to, you know, prevent se- severe injury or death. That's yeah. Um, as with a lot of these cases that we unfortunately have to talk about, um, there's both from the company and from investigators, there's this almost just vacuum of information because, you know, they'll, they'll release uh, victims and, and a little bit of information. But other than that, they want to make sure they know what happened mm-hmm. and then kind of, um, you know, discuss any, any penalties or broader details after that. So there's this total vacuum of information, basically. Um, and I should have pulled the quote verbatim from this, this company in North Carolina, but they basically said, we trained these workers, basically implying that they screwed up. Now, yeah. I know your instinct as the company is to say, we did everything by the book. But it didn't really sit well with me, given that we're still, you know, days out from this incident and still there's not a lot of information about what happened here. And we're just, you know, when there's a vacuum of information like that, your instinct is kind of to take the company's word for it because there's no contrasting viewpoint at that point. Well, and you can have you can have the world's best training. You can have all the safety uh, protocols in place, but there's still human error. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it, you just, it's impossible to account for. Well, it's just one of those things. It's, and it, this isn't the best analogy, but how many times do you have to tell your kids to do stuff like turn the lights off? Okay. Yeah. Put the dishes in the dishwasher, but you have to keep saying it so yeah. that eventually they do it. And one of the problems that we've always struggled with, mm-hmm. all of us, when we look at safety content, we could have the best safety stuff out there. Mm-hmm. That's not what gets people's attention. Unfortunately, it is when bad things like this happen. I mean, these were the highest rate, most viewed items on our sites this week. Yeah, and it wasn't because we're talking about ways to prevent this. Yeah, it's because unfortunately something did. Well, I mean, to the uh, comparison towards to telling your kids to like turn off the lights, it's you know one of the things we talk about is like lockout, takeout all the time. Yep, and it's uh you know it's something that we kind of have to talk about all the time, and, and you know the problems are still happening. Uh, the company, the company did note that when the two in the case with the two workers, one of the workers had worked at the plant for 13 years, the other had worked there for less than a month. So I think, I guess when they put out that statement and then they also put out that stat, I was like, it definitely, I got the same vibe where I'm like, all right, they're trying to place blame possibly on the new employee, but we'll see what happens because these investigations do take a long time. They do. OSHA does do a good job of like when they put out a report as to what the fines are for and the penalties. Uh, they do a good job of like putting a little bit more of a microscope on it's that. Extremely thorough. Yeah. Yes. Those reports. Yes. And uh, you know, Valley Proteins has a relatively good safety record. I mean, they had some bad accidents in 2016, uh, one that was fatal with the ladder, and in 2013. But uh, you know, these aren't. Sometimes when we see these stories, we see habitual offenders, mm-hmm. and uh, it didn't seem like that was this in this case. But I don't know. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> well, let's move on to our next segment. In case you missed it, the stories that maybe weren't as popular on the website, but still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. 
Uh, Andy, I'd like to start with you. What was your in case you missed it this week? I uh, I took the liberty of moving this one ahead of you guys because it's a little little heavier subject matter than what we're dealing with a little <laughs> bit later on, a couple minutes. Right on. Um, so uh, this is a story um, from Israel. Um, this company, Israel Aerospace Industries, owned by the Israeli government, uh, they unveiled its most advanced unmanned vehicle to date. They have made, um, I believe, a uh, half dozen or so. Um, so far, this is the most advanced one. Um, it's a four-wheel drive robot that's remotely controlled by a tablet, and it has camera sensors and two machine guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's basically designed to patrol the border with Gaza, it sounds like from the report. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, drones are nothing new, uh, especially aerial drones in uh, in modern warfare, but there's also always these ethical questions of you know who's making the decision, who's calling the shots here. Mm-hmm. Now this vehicle, their maintenance, or I'm sorry, their movement and surveillance systems are automated, uh, and the company kind of ominously said that it could have self-firing capabilities. Oh my goodness! But those aren't—they're not selling those to customers. So I was like, oh, oh well, good, thanks. <laughs> yeah, keep those on the shelf. Um, and now they say that this technology can can protect their soldiers. It can go do um, reconnaissance stuff. It can transport things, um, but also it's equipped with two machine guns. So. I mean, you could build a robot without those if you wanted to do that other stuff. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, and also I, I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, point out um, a little bit. It's not really my my position or our position here to point out that region's geopolitics, but maybe not the best look for Israel yeah. at, this, uh, at this point. Well, this one kind of struck me. Uh, sorry, Jeff. Uh, this one kind of struck me particularly because of the like, well, I mean – yeah, it has the guns. It's not going to use them. I mean, but see, that's what's so Israel does this all the time. Yeah. They're always kind of like, we ain't going to do that, but we could. <laughs> I'm not winking. Yeah. I'm staring right at you. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. saying we could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what they do. And that's, see, so in my mind, it's kind of like, good for you. Like, yeah. I, I, I get that tactic. I, the one thing that I thought was interesting when you were reading the features, like you're going right down the line. She's like, yeah, sensors, cameras, machine guns. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, the norm, yeah, you know, it's just what you get. Put some stuff on there, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think this is. I think I was really impressed, honestly, when I looked at this. Obviously, there is that sort of um, moral battle a little bit because there there is that loss of control, and you are talking about some pretty violent equipment right here, mm-hmm. potential for it to get out of control. But that's a pretty violent area, and it's already out of control. So um, I can appreciate where Israel is coming from and trying to put something out there that they feel, I would think, on some level is going to be a, de- a greater deterrent yeah. and keeping their soldiers out of harm's way. So I just I think autonomous vehicles, I go to test the autopilot, and I think, yeah. all right, you know, maybe maybe something that fair has, point. You know, very like fair that. point. There's very still there's point. still bugs in the system, you know, yeah. so let's maybe just make sure that, like, you can operate them autonomously, but they got to be, like, plugged in or something. You know, just make sure they're kind of... Somebody's got to have that tablet not on uh, the, the dark screen mode. Somebody's got to be looking at it. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be a red button. So. Mm-hmm. Well, no. there's there's always that RoboCop reference. Like, oh, yeah. I'm still thinking of that very first movie. Like, when they're trying to get the thing to shut down and it just goes berserk. And yeah. It does a lot of bad things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. some very convincingly violent things. <laughs> they, they did yeah. some great special effects in that yeah. series. Um, all right. Well, you're right. That uh, I do have a touch lighter fare. Very good. Uh, for my In Case You Missed It. Uh, about researchers who are attempting to toilet train cows to reduce pollution. We're going to solve the world's problems with this one. Uh, Research teams in New Zealand and Germany are taking the unorthodox approach to limit pollutants like methane and nitrates from cattle. 
They're trying to potty train young calves. They call this product the Mulu. <laughs> and cattle are trained to enter a bright green pen and are rewarded with food after urinating. The scientists say the calves are about as reliable as young children and can learn to self-initiate to uh, the use of the Mulu after about 15 days, which means they're actually way better than my young children. It's not, it's not sure if it's scalable, but cutting any waste could make a big environmental impact. And <clears throat> to the point of it being scalable, I looked at it, and it does seem like a difficult thing to scale, where basically you would need dozens or hundreds of these pens for calves to kind of walk in, get fed like a hamster, and then, you know, do their business and get out of there. But uh, I thought it was an interesting uh, it was an interesting take on a problem that people kind of seem to joke about forever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Jeff, were you struck by the Mulu at all? <laughs> that, first of all, that's a great name. Alex, you put this one together. Is this your top one of your top five videos that you've ever done? This is pretty this is pretty good. Yeah. Top five. <laughs> Easily. I mean, this is this, I thought this for was pretty ingenious. Yeah. yeah, for work. I thought it was a pretty ingenious solution. I mean, mm-hmm. if we can make it scalable at some point, it's a place to start. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked everything about it. I thought it was pretty cool. The name's great. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I couldn't help but read the headline first and just think, well, I mean, diapers are already a problem on the environment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, no, no, there's a little bit more tech behind it than that. So is the scale problem that they're – there's one of these and they're having trouble getting that many herds because you could build like a like a Lambeau Field types bathroom scenario and just have funnel yeah, 80,000 cows one after the other. It's just they're typically eating at the same time. Uh, yeah. So if you're going to try to time it up with that, that would be a bit oh. of an issue. Yeah, and, I mean, if you think of these large farms that are yes. are typically the problem, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it would have to be like Lambeau Field. And uh, I think logistically um, – yeah, moving in it like well, it's a lot. In and out, like it's a lot of product to handle too. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna need a wastewater system that is quite industrial. Yeah, um, but yeah, no. Uh, I hope the research teams keep working on it, and uh, it could potentially. Know, does, yeah. have I was I was annoyed we didn't think of that particular solution here in America's Dairyland. I believe this this is Germany where they they were there trying this. Yeah, New Zealand and Germany. I mean, we got we got cows here. What's what's the story, everybody? I mean, Come I will guys. reach got out a, to my contacts. Got a dairy science center right down the road. Let's go. Maybe they're on the list to okay. get a Mulu. Yeah. Get them out, get after them, coach. Yeah. Fire them up. There you go. <laughs> uh Jeff, what is your in case you missed it this week? Uh I also went on the lighter side. I thought this this story, I don't know, just kind of thought it was funny because how many times, and you'll get into this too, like kid's birthday, you get those balloons. It's kind of like the foil balloons oh, yeah, and stuff like Mylar that. The Mylar balloons, yeah. Well, in Germany, they had a big issue with one of these balloons. Okay. okay? Basically, somebody let go of one of these foil. There's just an over-the-counter commercial. There was nothing special military grade about this foil balloon, but somebody let it go. Mm. And it managed to, uh, let me make sure I'm saying this right, caused a short circuit. Uh, at an electricity substation in Dresden, Germany on Monday, and it caused a power outage that Ooh. affected hospitals, trams, factories, and about 300,000 households. Man, because Dozens of people were even trapped in elevators because there was no power, and it was caused basically by one of these balloons floating up and short-circuiting yeah, you know the the power power lines. Maybe this is how you get kids to actually care because, like, when the kid lets the balloon go, 
And you're like, hey, that's going to wind up in a river or a lake somewhere. And they're just like, ha, not a big deal. You say that, you know, it's going to shut down the TV yeah, and they're going to start listening. Yeah. Like, hey, no bluey if this well, lands in a substation. It's funny, too, because if you look at the photo, this mm-hmm. guy is trying not to, like, oh, yeah. lose it. He's yeah. like, can you believe this thing? Yeah. Did all this? This, the headline, is, this is why we were shut down here. Yeah. The headline of the story is police are investigating like what are what are we doing here? like we're please probe yeah, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna find the six-year-old from a thousand miles away and bring him in like what are we doing here well it's i definitely thought it was a much more nefarious uh plot yeah when i read the headline and i was too. like mm, no just a, a kid let one go but uh the other thing is we talk about infrastructure problems and vulnerabilities yeah. every, all the time i mean it's great to be on the uh uh, the better side of cybersecurity, like so we can lock down these water plants and other energy plants. But we also need to make sure that they can't be taken down by a kid's balloon. Maybe invest yeah. in like a chain link fence or something. So, I don't know. Just yeah. something around them. Yeah, that was crazy. They have those like special guns that can shoot down drones. It's like, hey, you're going to need a dart too, just in case. <laughs> My goodness. But uh, yeah, so kids, keep them on the wrist. <laughs> Yeah, there's more reasons to be mad than just the wasted like eight bucks that for yeah. that balloon that you just spent. Oh man, you know what? It's not even the expense. It's the problem that when that balloon is released or pops, the subsequent meltdown that lasts for way too once, long. Once they can't see it anymore, oh, it's yeah. awesome till as long as they can see it. When they can't see it anymore, then yeah, yeah. What have I done? Where's my balloon? What my have balloon I is done? gone. This is no longer awesome. And my life is over. All right, moving on to final thoughts. Uh, Andy, what's your final thought this week? Uh, I got to go to my uh, first concert since the pandemic broke out. My uh, my wife and sisters in law were nice enough to invite me to tag along to an evening with Michael Bublé. Yeah, in Milwaukee. Did it uh, cure your soul? Uh, it was it was good to be in an arena full of people who were enjoying music, even though it wasn't the demographic I'm used to <laughs> at my usual shows. But no, it was a good time. Uh, we uh, we enjoyed the newsroom pub in Milwaukee beforehand. If you ever get the chance, that's uh, owned by the Milwaukee Press Club. So if you're oh, okay. they had a uh, framed typewriter on the wall said break in case of emergency. So that uh, oh, right there man. I was in. That's fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Uh, no, my final thought this week was actually very similar. I'm going to my first show. Uh, outdoor, it's outdoors, so, you know, not as worried about it. But um, really looking forward to it. Haven't seen live music in a while. I mean, we've still played plenty of it loud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trying to uh, keep the white noise up in the house. But uh, really looking forward to it. And it's, you know, it's starting to get really nice outside. So trying to get out and enjoy it. Uh, Jeff, how about your final thought this week? My final thought is, do we still need to have Monday night football? Uh, I look forward to the weekends here in the fall. We got the Badgers on Saturday and the Packers at some point on Sunday. I'm okay with Thursday nights. It's a great way to kick off the weekend. I'm cool with that. Why do I have to wait all the way until Monday night to watch the football game? I See, for me... It's more of an availability thing. So like Monday night football has become annoying because it's on ESPN only, which is, you know, on some sort of other tier that's beyond the many different packages I subscribe to. So that's what I find the most annoying about it. Um, but we're still early in the season. So like we're still, you know, it's week two, all football is good football. We want more of it. I mean, by week 17, then you're just like, all right. I mean, it starts Thursday. Yeah. Which I can get into. I'm good all day Saturday and Sunday. But if I've got to, I mean, it just sucks having to wait till Monday night and I'm old. Mm-hmm. So I get tired. Yeah. You got to stay up till 1030 and watch the Packer game. I mean, I, mean, I had a guy just I reach out with tickets. So uh, 
I'll uh, we'll let you know. Not ask you about it. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, but I mean, talk about logistically. Yeah, trying to see a Monday night game in Green Bay, and then go anywhere oh, else. Man. Monday night football was my absolute favorite television event when I was a kid, and I am sliding towards the same boat now. I'm just like, man, it's kind of late. Well, I just don't like you waiting. I don't like waiting. I just want like Sunday should be Packer football. I can even handle Sunday night. Yeah. Sundays are a lot easier when you know that you're going to carve it th- like three hours out of yeah. it. Yeah. No, uh, I completely agree with you too, though. Like growing up, like that was huge deal. Yeah. Uh, dun, you hear dun, the dun, music. Dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's iconic. I mean, Carrie Underwood's still crushing it, right? That's what they tell me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I guess we'll try to text you during the game to keep you awake. Thanks. Appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> All right. Before we get out of here, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast. To email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or no, well, you can reach Anna if you'd like to. Andy's here. uh, Or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You could also subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters. Make sure you get it in your inbox first. All right. For Jeff and Andy and Anna, who's not here, I'm David Manti, and this is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.